0: Welcome to the Jason on the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I really do appreciate your time, and thank you for doing this. Uh, I'm going to talk briefly about the news, give some thoughts on the news, uh, highlight the stupid, because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to phone a friend. This time I'm thrilled to, to get on the horn with uh, Charlie Kirk. Charlie, uh, amazing, with his Turning Point organization, Uh, what he's done online, in his social media presence, the videos. I mean, we are talking about hundreds of millions of hits, people that have been watching these videos. And you know what? Charlie Kirk has made an impact on the younger generation that, I, I mean, I struggle to find anybody else who's had a bigger impact on that younger generation. Obviously, you can point to maybe a president, you know, President Trump, I'm sure Charlie would say. But in terms of taking an idea... Uh, formulating it, putting it in in a package, and then explaining to people why the conservative viewpoint makes so much sense um, and being able to couple that with the history of what actually went down. I mean, talk about a guy who's unafraid. If you've ever watched one of these videos, He'll go anywhere, talk to anybody, and he does it in a really respectful way. Like he tells people, "Hey, go ahead, tell me what you got to say. Give this guy some space. Let him say what he wants to say." And then when he listens to it, he actually has the backbone to explain and take a core position, and not be bashful about it. And I, I, I tell you, I learned things from it. I think anybody who sees it gonna learn from it. And so I'm excited to uh, to give um, to give him a. Give them a call. So uh, anyway, stay with us. Uh, I want to give a a few little takes on what's going on in the news because, you know, we look around the world. We see all these things that are happening. We see all the noise and the distractions. And one of the things that I'm worried about is, and I saw this written up, uh, and somebody else highlighted it, but it just makes total obvious sense to me that you have this interesting paradigm between – what's going on in Russia, what's going on in China, and what's going on in Iran. And, and often we're talking about Russia, or we're talking about China, and then we forget about Iran, or we're talking about Iran, we forget. The, the complexity of what the United States of America is going through right now is is profound. We have to, as a United States military, as a cyber defense system, as a, a nation that is competing understand that we have adversaries, not just normal competitors that are trying to do things better than us, but people that want death and destruction to the United States of America. They would like nothing wor- nothing better than, than to have the United States perish, that the American people suffer. And we have to understand that. Now, one of the things I've seen throughout my lifetime, and I really do believe in my core, is that you can gain the peace through strength. I have never seen anybody actually achieve the peace by taking a weaker position that it just lays down their arms and just says, oh, you know, I just want to understand you a little bit better. Or "We let's do it through appeasement. I saw appeasement in the Obama administration. I saw it in the Carter administration. I see it in the Biden-Harris administration. I got to tell you, less so, actually, in the Clinton administration, but there were times when he should have pulled the trigger and done some things that he did not do, and I think the America and the world was, was worse off. The United States of America doesn't need to be the world's policeman. We don't need to be involved and engaged in every fight. We shouldn't be sending our men and women to all corners of the earth at all time to, to be that policeman. and and provide the safety and security blanket that is the United States, we need to take care of America first. You know, that's why I saw Donald Trump do. But I'd look at two points in in history, particularly with Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, two of the most secure uh, presidencies in my lifetime. And it's because they took a very strong stance, not only in the military, but the way that they would actually use it. If you look particularly at the Ronald Reagan years, It was a very peaceful time. We ultimately won the Cold War. Those walls fell after President Reagan, but nevertheless, those walls, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls. uh, They actually did. And we were able to defeat and destroy without firing shots, the Soviet Union, which now obviously Vladimir Putin wants to bring the the band together and try to get them all back together. We perhaps have never faced an adversary, though, like China. China is has a perseverance and an, uh, an ability that is perhaps one of the biggest foes that we have ever yet faced. And for those of you that think that, oh, well, hey, we just need to be softer, we just need to be kinder, we just need to, to allow more Americanism into China, it ain't working that way, folks. You got to talk the language of those people And that comes through strength. It comes through military might. It comes from not backing down. And I still can't get over how the whole Nancy Pelosi thing was dealt with. You couldn't get the president and Nancy Pelosi on the same page at the same time. Like, seriously, like how hard she's the speaker of the United States of America. He's the president of the United States of America. They've known each other for decades. They're both in the Democratic Party and they couldn't communicate on that, I think that looks so bad domestically, but it looked really bad on the world stage. And uh, I just, I still don't understand. It's been weeks, but I still don't understand why that became such a problem. But during that whole time, I think there's been a lot of quietness about are there, about Iran. You know, they want the Iran nuclear deal to be pieced back together. But I, I'm telling you, folks, this is a scary thing to me because it was never one Plan that was going to be it was going to allow the United States or independence to go out there and actually verify that Iran was not developing a nuclear weapon. They want death and destruction in the United States. They want death and destruction to to Israel. Um, they want to dominate in the world, and they believe that having a nuclear bomb and using a nuclear bomb would actually allow them to do that. And I I worry about that. So, what is the game plan to deal with Iran? I don't think the Biden-Harris administration has one. I really don't. And and it scares me that they don't have a game plan to do that. And they aren't going to take a um, – just not going to get there without an actual game plan to do it. So that's my take on the news. It's kind of a a deeper thought. You have to kind of really – foreign policy is very difficult. But when you have somebody like – Uh, joe biden who's not very engaged you have kamala harris with no experience certainly almost no experience internationally that is a recipe that is not good for the united states of america and that's my take on it all right time to bring on the stupid because you know what there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere And uh, of course, we're going back to Florida. We like to talk a lot about Florida Man. Florida Man tends to uh, win the day in terms of stupid. Um, I was highlighted this by a friend of mine, Jennifer Scott. It always, we she talked about Florida Man, and sure enough, more news articles start with a Florida Man. So I'm going back to the SmokingGun.com. Uh, this is uh, dated of July 27th. The headline is: "Cops, Man Drove Walmart Scooter While Drunk." Floridian 39 facing DUI counts after in-store jaunt July 27th. A Florida man is behind bars on DUI charges for allegedly drunk driving a motorized scooter inside a Walmart where he nearly struck shoppers and crashed into shelves and merchandise displays. Aaron Gregory, 39, was busted around 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning inside a Walmart in Melbourne, a city about 65 miles south of Orlando. Officers were summoned to the store, quote, referenced to an intoxicated male on a motorized scooter. It goes on from there, folks, but you know what? If you're drunk at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, if... And you're at a Walmart driving a motorized scooter, running into people, uh, getting close to running into people and maybe hitting some shelves. Yeah, this one's going to be on the highlight reel for doing something stupid. Florida man, once again, wins the day. Don't be driving drunk a scooter at Walmart, particularly on a Sunday morning. That's my advice. And that is the stupid. Stupid. All right, time to bring on Charlie Kirk. Charlie is absolutely amazing. Um, he, has, he has done so much for the conservative movement and to teach younger people how to think. Young, I, you know, it spans the whole age gambit. It's not just locked into just, you know, one particular age group. But what he's done with young people, I'm just telling you, it's just Turning Point USA has really fundamentally changed the game. Liberals don't know how to how to deal with it. It's blowing their minds. They're organized in like hundreds of campuses across the uh, across the country, and if you go and listen to Charlie Kirk online and in these videos and social media. I think we're going to have a fascinating discussion. I'd like to learn more about how he did it and what he did and why he put it all together. So let's give a call to Charlie Kirk. Hello? Charlie Kirk, hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. Thanks, uh, thanks for picking up the line. I appreciate it. Of course, Jason. How are you, man? I'm doing well. And um, I can tell you're a big fan of going to spend a lot of money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to school to go to college. And uh, I wanted to talk about that a little bit about what you're doing in life
1: and, uh, but congratulations on this new book you got. Well, thank you, Jason. I will say a joke that only you will understand. I prefer cruise ships over college. (laughs) There
0: we go. That, that I understand. And, uh, I think my wife and your (laughs) wife understand, but other than that, yes, we will move along. (laughs) Um, Exactly. you got a fascinating story. I mean, I have more people come up to me and say, I just love Charlie. It just, I love how you get up on it. I'm telling you, I watched, I don't know how many videos of you standing and talking to flaming liberals about the world, about history. And I just love your, come on, bring it on. You throw anything at me. I'll answer your question. And it it takes some it takes some, you know,
1: backbone to do that. Where'd you get that? Where'd that come from? Well, well, you're you're very kind, thank you. And um, yeah, I suppose we have a reputation for that now. So yeah, I you know, started turning point ten years ago and why I've always why been, like why'd you yeah, start? It? I was it was kind of not, not by accident, but I just kind of stumbled into it. Originally was gonna go to West Point, uh, didn't get in and ended up being the best thing that never happened to me. Uh, a variety of levels, and I said, you know, I'm going to take a gap year before I enroll in college. Baylor University was my backup, and it's become a gap decade now of ten years <laughs> of building and uh, advocating for conservative ideas on high school and college campuses across the country, and it's just grown tremendously. I've always, you know, felt convicted of my beliefs and. You know, I realized early on that we as conservatives are definitely in the ideological and philosophical minority amongst young people, and that the way to go about persuasion is we have to go right into the fire. So I've spoke at every campus you can imagine, from Berkeley to Brown to Stanford uh, to a lot of Midwest schools, University of Michigan, University of Iowa. And so, yeah, I've always kind of been willing to be confrontational, uh, yet respectful. I don't think Maybe rarely you'll see me raise my voice if I really get fired up about something, but usually it's a good back and forth. Usually they're the ones raising their voice. Uh, But no, I appreciate the kind words and our videos have been viewed hundreds of millions of times of just going to college campuses. And it's been a lot of fun. And uh, we got some more planned for this semester.
0: No, I think you have been very um, respectful. In fact, you're usually the one saying, hey, 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 let let, 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 let this person ask their question let it fully get out, you know, without letting somebody just go on and on and on and on with, you know, giving some speech, but get to the heart of the question and then allowing you to respond, which usually puts them in this position of, I I just dumbfounded and not being able to keep up with you on, on your history, but kind of give us the sketch of little Charlie growing up, like what was life like? Where'd you grow up and kind of what instilled that, that core conservativism that is obviously, uh, you know, just part of your being.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, Uh, went to Wheeling High School, Uh, gave my life to the Lord in fifth grade. Faith is a big part of my life and always loved the country. And as I got into sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I started to kind of come across in public school, not so subtle indoctrination sessions of, oh, America's not that great of a country. And we have to radically change the capitalist system. And I clumsily <laughs> tried to defend conservative ideas, but I definitely realized I have a lot of studying to do, a lot of research to do. And it, wasn't the, it was just so sad is that over the last 10 years, everything has become so political. It just wasn't that political growing up, right? You had to really kind of be, you have to be um, attuned to it, if you will. I've always had a passion for the country and for American history. And so naturally I found, you know, these ideas to be interesting and compelling. I always loved free markets. I always loved the Constitution. I loved the American founding and all those things, I think, naturally guided me in a conservative direction. Uh, Came across Milton Friedman when I was a sophomore in high school, had a profound impact on my thinking, especially on economics. Uh, Came across some phenomenal thinkers on American history. And I became an outspoken conservative and sophomore, junior of high school, started volunteering for local campaigns, knocked on over 100,000 doors uh, for then Congressman Mark Kirk. You would remember that name. Yeah, and then yeah. Senator Mark Kirk, unfortunately, became kind of more of a moderate than I would have liked. By the way, no relation between uh, Congressman and Senator Kirk and I. But I got a lot of exposure to grassroots politics. I worked on Congressman Dold's campaign. That's Dold, the D, not E. Yeah, another guy, Bob. That I think. Yeah. Yep. He was a good man and again, a little more moderate than for my taste, but he was in the North Shore of Chicago in a D plus seven seat and held it for quite a while and in a tough, tough race there. So that was kind of my beginning introduction to politics. Um, and then started turning point USA in two thousand twelve after not getting into West Point, just because I saw that young people I don't think were properly hearing the conservative message. And it's been an amazing journey since then. But yeah, I've always had a passion for this. You know, people say, Hey, Charlie, you know. Where did you get your start? I just as, as long as I could remember, I've always cared about these things and uh, come from a family of a lot of very proud patriots. And so this, we were always talking about how beautiful the country America was, how thankful we are to be Americans, how the Lord has blessed us to live in this nation. And I believe all of that played a major role into my now activism and leadership of Turning Point USA. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more
0: of my conversation with Charlie Kirk right after this.
1: Fox News Radio On Demand on the
0: Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. So when you were a little kid, were you like, were you into sports? Were you into, I mean... Oh yeah,
1: big time. What were you playing? Well, so I always joke around where people say, you know, I'm going to follow my passion and my heart. I say, yeah, that's not a great idea. You should follow your skill that you're also passionate about. Two <laughs> totally different things. Because if I was following my passion, I would be a division two football coach right now. Um, I love football more than almost anything else in the world. I'm just not that good at it, right? I could throw football super far. Uh, you probably saw a relief factor add or two on that. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yes. I love sports, I love basketball, I love football. Um, it's just not the thing I'm best at. It's just not. And I think it's important for people to um kind of be honest with that. But I am good at talking. Uh, I'm good at speaking. Good at making arguments. Um, good at putting things together in the current news and events. And I also have a passion for that. But yeah, I grew up playing. When did, did you figure imagine. that out? But what, did, what you know? That doesn't
0: come on. That doesn't happen to just everybody. You kind of figure that out, and then you start doing things that maybe others aren't doing. You're like, wow, oh, that's working well for me. I I enjoy it, and I'm actually pretty good at it. what, I mean, what was there something in, when you're seven years old that happened, or? How did you source that or figure it out?
1: I mean, yeah, the sports thing, you never really know. In high school, I I took sports super seriously, right? Football and basketball is also an Eagle Scout and did all those sorts of different things. And, you know, when you get to be a junior or senior, you're like, yeah, maybe I'm not going to become Peyton Manning, right? So you just kind of, that's a tough realization at times for a kid where you dedicate your life so much to a certain trade and practice, but you know the the kind of speaking and the politics thing, it just became it just came so naturally to me. <laughs> and by the time I was a junior or senior, I was spending almost all my free time caring and thinking about these things. And by the way, the conservative movement, in my personal opinion in two thousand and twelve when I really came onto the scene, was nowhere near as built out as it is today. Only to think about podcasting was not really around. YouTube no. channels were just starting to pop up, right? Yeah. We had Fox News and God Bless Sean Hannity and at the time Bill O'Reilly who were kind of holding down the fort on cable TV. Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin played a huge impact, but that was about it, Jason. It wasn't this unbelievably diverse conservative movement where you have turning point events and you have podcasts like yours and, you know, you have social media, for example, Twitter was just coming along and Instagram yeah. wasn't a thing and Facebook. And so there just wasn't that many resources available to be able to navigate the very liberal world. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing the ranks of Turning Point USA grow and more young conservatives speak out. It's just the the buffet of options for a young conservative now is far greater than it was when I was in high school.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I first I ran for office in 2008. And, and you're right. I mean, I would watch uh, Bill O'Reilly and I'd watch Sean Hannity and, it, you know, how mm-hmm. to think through an issue like all right, what's the what's the right way to think about this and and it made such total sense to me, but you're right. i could you couldn't just go online or you couldn't go listen to a podcast. That's and if right. you didn't catch the radio at just the right time, then you would miss you know a a, a Sean Hannity kind of talking you know, spending ten minutes diving a little deeper into the to, into the issue. and so i I think you saw that void and and just yes. filled it in a big way. so. Again, let's go back to the genesis of turning point because it's one thing. Okay, oh, great. I didn't get into West Point. So uh and football, yeah, that really isn't going to work out, but there had to be something where you said, yeah, this is what we need. What how did you see that? And how did you decide and and then it takes some resources to put it together, right? So
1: how did that uh, all it, come it, about? Yeah. It would not have been possible without mentors, truly. I mean, I I started speaking at local Tea Party gatherings in the summer of 2011, just purely out of passion. And I reached out to a local Tea Party guy I met at a football event. Long story, we were doing a football fundraiser in Arlington Heights, and he ran the Arlington Heights Tea Party. And his name was Art Ellingson. And I reached out to him and uh, he was like, yeah, come speak at my Tea Party meeting. And I just kind of spoke about young people and why we got to stop borrowing all this money and debts and deficits. And I really enjoyed it. I had a super fun time. I was like, wow. And then people like hey you're kind of good at this thing so the intersection of passion and skill and i had some phenomenal mentors one of which was bill montgomery 72 years old at the time uh ended up being our first board member at turning point usa recently passed away unfortunately and honestly without mentors i wouldn't have been able to do what we do at turning point usa at all um it was a group of you know 70 75 year old men and women that gave us money and mentorship and support largely from the chicagoland area i don't think that's a coincidence um not because of the politics but i think chicago over the last 40, 50 years, to a lesser extent now, have produced some of the most rugged, and remarkable business stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just a big fan of the Midwest and um, just what it produces. I'm not a slight at other parts of the country. I just happen to love the Midwest and kind of the culture there. And so they just believed in me. They're like, "Yeah, you could change the world of th- this organization." And mind you, Jason, I didn't have this big vision. I mean, I, I didn't know how to open a checking account, right? I didn't know <laughs> what a debit versus a credit. I didn't know payroll. <laughs> I didn't know, you know, how to do an expense report, but. I got the right mentors to help me through that. But I did know how to talk. I knew how to convince. I knew how to persuade, which was definitely just kind of a natural gift. I think I had um, the ability to communicate, to be able to put ideas together. Uh, Some people are phenomenal writers. Other people can play the violin really well. You know, I just happened to be able to be like, hey, Charlie, riff on this for an hour. Like, okay, it just kind of comes naturally. Um, And then you connect that with a work ethic that is definitely that Midwestern work ethic which is once I started Turning Point USA, and I still live this out, I said, no one's going to outwork me. You might be smarter than me, you might be more talented than me, but I will put more hours in than you, and that will make a difference. Because when t- hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. In, in your grasp of the history and the foundation of the nation, and some of these things are they I, – I see some of these liberals uh, trying to recreate or or – or, um, refabricate, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, the the our history and our nation, where we came from. And I think some of my favorite videos of you have been when you just said, no, let's actually talk about the foundation of this nation and what our founders yes. were actually thinking about. And I just love it. And that, that comes with hard work, but it also comes with passion, right? Yes. You got to, you know, yes. focus determines reality. And if you have the passion for it, th- there's no reason why you can't totally be that person. So Help me answer this question, because I get this question all the time. You know, people say in their own communities, they say, how do I, what can I do? You know, I'm just this person in this in this neighborhood. What can I do to make the difference? Because you have a a, a forum, you, you've you got a platform, you created it. Um, I, I get this wonderful platform with Fox News and all that. But the average person, what can they do to make a difference in their own neighborhood?
1: Yeah. You always can do something, right, Jason? I mean, when if I would have allowed cynicism to soak in, you're right. I was just an 18-year-old. I had no money, no connections, no idea what I was doing. I had no Twitter followers. <laughs> I had no Facebook followers. I had nothing. Right. And by the way, Jason, I just, you know, I have a face for radio. I'm not, you know, overly <laughs> funny, but I worked and I did something, right? Everybody could do this. I'd say this all the time. There's not anything exceptional except the Lord's blessing on Turning Point USA, and the hours we put in and the Lord putting mentors in front of me. I'm not saying everyone is going to do this, but boys, there's something you could do. And it might not be a leadership role. It might be a following role, right? Uh, it might be you supporting the fighters. But, you know, I just I just want to encourage people here that are listening. What I did at Turning Point USA, you know, at the time, if I would have allowed myself to believe that what I did did not matter, then The no exaggeration, tens of millions of people we've impacted, Jason, would not have been impacted, right? Yeah. Um, And the hundreds of thousands of students that have come through our ranks and attended our events and been trained by us and been touched by our, our work, it just wouldn't have happened. And so I understand the sentiment because it could feel overwhelming, but I do think there's something special about the Americana can do it spirit. Maybe I was too youthfully naive to see anything different, but I'll tell you, Jason, from the beginning, there were so many naysayers oh Charlie this young thing has been done before what are you doing pat me on the head yeah (laughs) oh yeah and I mean even you know it came in kind of a couple chapters first it was come on Charlie you're wasting your time and then like in 15 16 17 there was the establishment conservative groups that attacked us very forcefully because they realized we were getting momentum and now you know that doesn't happen as much um just kind of kind of a scale and volume Um, we're kind of hard to ignore and what we've been blessed to do, but yeah, look, Jason, just to say though, there were plenty of people that told me, Charlie, you're never going to make a big difference. Just go to college, get your degree, you know, go get a nice job, stop this change the world business and praise God. I had people around me mentors in their seventies. They're like, you know what? You actually can change the world. And I think that's so special about America. I don't think other countries have that sort of attitude always. I don't. And so Turning Point USA is truly a uniquely American story.
0: Uh, It really is. And you're right. There are people everywhere that can tell you to think small and to go small. And the difference is having that vision and that opportunity, but, but not going for the gusto, you know, on the first drive, it's like, I don't know if you play golf, but you know, there's a saying about (laughs) if you over hit it, it, the ball doesn't go anywhere. Right. Just a nice, smooth stroke, just puts you down the fairway, gets you closer to where you want to go. And then the repetition of that and learning from it, it, it's just, there's so many... um, Okay, so you're you're going along, but now you started to write books. Congratulations. I mean, you already had a very, very successful book. But tell us about The College Scam, because you've written this new book, The College Scam, How America's Universities Are Bankrupting and Brainwashing Away the Future of America's Youth. Tell us... I kind of get the sense of how you feel about this, but tell us what we're going to
1: learn in this book. Yeah. My favorite interview, I think it was the Duffies. They said, Charlie, tell us how you really feel. Yeah. Um, You know, just kind of in a typical turning point style, I just kind of get straight to the point. Nothing bothers me more than just kind of vanilla framing, especially (laughs) if you have deeply held beliefs about it. Right. Yeah. This book is really personal to me. Um, And it's written unlike any other book I've written before. I've written four books. Uh, The last one, May it was number one on Amazon and a New York Times bestseller, which we were really proud of. And the president did an amazing job. And Fox really heavily promoted it, which we were super thankful for. That was called The MAGA Doctrine. But that book was completely different than this. That was a openly political book. Uh, this is not uh, this book is not political at all. It's cultural. And also that other book I sought to explain Donald Trump's view to people that supported Trump right. or that wanted to support Trump, or what he's doing. Um, this is about persuasion. This book, Jason, is all about trying to convince people that I know a majority of which, when they start reading the book, will not agree with me. So I thought to myself in tabulating this book, OK, I think college is a scam. I think it's a ripoff. How would I go about persuading an audience? And so where is the highest stakes persuasion game that happens in the country? The courtroom. Right. The Mm -hmm. courtroom is where you have a prosecutor who obviously has a certain opinion and has facts. And then you have a jury that is unbiased, supposed to be unbiased. They listen to the facts and they issue a verdict. And it's not the prosecutor's hands. It's in the jury's hands. And so I go after this book as if I am the prosecutor and you, the reader, are the jury. It's a 10 count indictment um, as if it's, you know, 10 different charges Hmm. all about how college don't educate colleges, don't educate the way you think they do. Um, They become so obscenely rich. Universities have at taxpayers expense. Uh, They're so overpriced. They're running a scam. Literally, I define what a scam is. And so I go through this in kind of a persuasive way. Um, I believe it's very convincing. It has 35 pages of footnotes. At the end of the book i had to delay publication i delayed publication a year and a half uh because i felt we didn't do enough research i said you know what that makes sense to me but let's go deeper so we did FOIA requests we did department education searches everything is cited thoroughly because i knew my detractors were gonna say where'd you get that number from and what do you mean and not just detractors by the way from the left people from the right that still believe college is this wonderful thing and so you know, we go through it in great detail. Uh, we also go through the potential counter arguments, some of which are silly and baseless, some of which I think there are some legitimately good counter arguments to my uh, to my argument, of which I think I respond to rather forcefully and adequately. So anyway, that's a little bit about the book. It's written for everybody. It's written for people that already agree with me. I think it will re- reaffirm your argument. But honestly, most people don't agree with me. Most people think college is still something that's necessary. I think it is not necessary for the vast majority of young people. I believe 80% to 85% of people that are in college should not be going to college. And I believe it's a scam. And I make the argument in the book, The College Scam. People can find it at collegescam.com. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back right after this.
0: So you do believe, though, that there is some room for college. I mean, right, if you're going to become an attorney, if you're going to become go, mm-hmm. go to, to medical school, right, um, to become a doctor, it, it, are you opposed to that? Or what's the thesis here on oh, maybe no. some of those yeah. specifics?
1: So let's go through a couple numbers, right? So people that are studying what I consider to be necessary credentialed careers mm-hmm. make up about 8 to 10% of all college students. So, and I totally agree. If you want to become a lawyer or a doctor or a nurse or even a high level of engineering, then right. yes, college is for you. Right. But the vast majority of people in college, fifty to sixty percent, are in the humanities.
0: Yeah, sociology a dance class or yeah. yes,
1: precisely. Yes. Now let's talk about some other numbers that make people jaws drop. So, forty percent of people that enter college will not graduate; they drop hmm. out. Forty yeah. percent. That alone shows that we have way too many people going to college. Right. If a business only had a 40% success rate, or 60% success rate, whether it be a hotel, like, yeah, you know, there's a uh, 60% <laughs> chance I'll hold your room or a restaurant. like You're a scam. Like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. And so that's one. And then the other on the back end, that if you graduate, which again, there's no guarantee you do, and the, the chances are worse than you could imagine, as I just articulated, if you graduate 41% of people that end up graduating, they get a job, if they get a job in a in a career or a field that does not require a, a college degree. For example, you go to Arizona State University, you study North African lesbian poetry, <laughs> and then you end up becoming a receptionist that didn't require a college degree in the first place. Right. And then on top of that, Jason, um, there's, a, there's a lot. I think it's, it's right between 20 to 25% of, on top of that of people that end up finding jobs in a different field than what they studied. For example, I studied economics, and now I'm into computer science. And so, yes, there is a need in our society, for sure, for the credentials, right? I want my brain surgeon to have learned right. from the best right. possible, of course. But explain to me the 70% of people that are doing sociology or communications, gender studies, history, which is not even history degree. And I'll even say, though, that even if you're going to become a lawyer or a doctor, is that you must know, though, that you have to effectively navigate an institution that is largely rigged against you, right? right. And so. As I admit that, yes, we do need people at the highest competency level with the most proficiency, obviously, then. Are you going to be able to do it in a cost effective way? Are you going to be some form of a education graduated indentured servant by the time you're 55 years old, still paying off a 200,000 student loan debt, right? Are you going to be filled with bad ideas to learn there is no beauty, goodness and truth? So that's the other things that are also incorporated in that. So anyway, um, yes, I admit that for some people, college is right. But the numbers blow people away when you realize the actual small percentage of people that enter college that are actually going after things that truly do require a college degree.
0: Yeah, I, you know our state legislature, actually, in Utah, is actually there have been some real champions out there to say, hey, look, wh- why are we funding, and why are the taxpayers yes. having to pay so much money for the de- 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 degrees for nowhere? I mean, they lead to nowhere. There's no job at the That's end right. of this rainbow, and we're going to spend all this taxpayer money supplementing it. We can pay, these kids are going to go into all this debt, and then— there's no job for them at the end of the
1: day. That's right. That's That's the decrease to know. How do you feel about the trade schools? Big fan. Trade schools have largely been immune to the woke idea pathogens. Not all of them, but most of them. And trade schools, I I differentiate from four-year college. Right. Uh, Now, mind you, you call that a trade school, not a college, because it actually is, right? So it's a technical difference. That's really important. We need way more trade schools. And so, for example, if you learn to code in eight weeks, I believe you're way better prepared for the 21st century job market than going to Brown and studying you know lesbian dance theory or whatever it is right I mean these are not exaggerations of the things they study and by the way we have a whole chapter on the wackiest courses that would make your job, oh, job. really <laughs> uh, how wh- one of my favorites is how to watch television is <laughs> one of my favorite courses that is being offered oh it's just um but yes of course trade schools so I want to be very clear I'm pro-education that's one of the main reasons why I'm so against college is because they're not doing their job right and, and by the way this is You could judge a tree by the fruit it produces. So the Fortune 100 CEOs were polled of whether or not they're impressed or not impressed or very concerned about college graduates and their ability to speak and their vocabulary and their work ethic. Over 80 percent of these Fortune 100 CEOs said they're extremely concerned and disappointed at what these universities are creating. They said they're the producing, I should say, that the recent college grads have lower work ethic. They're not as prepared to go take a job, that they have to invest millions of dollars a month into new job training. So they get these college grads from maybe U- University of Utah or from University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and they have to spend millions of dollars training the college grads to actually do the job that college was supposed to train them to do. And so and these are the Fortune 100 CEOs that were pulled. And so You see this all together, you say, What is the value proposition here? And I believe it's shaky at best.
0: Yeah, no, there's, it's so true. Like, I, when I've talked to employers along the way and say, What do you really need? They said, Gosh, we just Mm -hmm. need people that can write. It's amazing. They get through all the way through college and they can't write. Like, there's, and basic financial literacy, like, they can't balance a checkbook. And and yet they've gone through this college degree and they get out there and they don't even know. And so it is stunning. Look, uh, congratulations on this book. I think it's going to do so, so well. And um, I think you're, again, hitting the nail on the head. And before we wrap up this podcast, Charlie, I, I do these rapid questions to kind of get to know Go the ahead. guests a little bit better. I, I hope you're ready for it. Let's do it. All right. The first uh, concert you attended.
1: Oh, boy. Um, it was probably a classical music concert at uh, Ravinia. In the suburbs of Chicago, all your Chicago listeners will know it well. All right, uh, what was your high school mascot? The Wildcats,
0: <laughs> because there were a lot of Wildcats in Chicago. That that's Yeah, not good. so much.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, favorite vegetable? Broccoli. Well, that that, that is healthy. And, and and hats off to you because you'd be amazed how many people I interview that can't name a vegetable.
1: So that was that was really. Oh, I I eat vegetables all the time. Cucumbers too. I love cucumbers. Good good for you.
0: Uh, did you have a pet growing up?
1: I did a dog named Winston. Beautiful dog. What kind of dog? German short haired pointer. Wow, oh, nice. Uh, life's most embarrassing moment. Most embarrassing moment? Oh, I can't share that on air, but um, <laughs> I. That's I've the one we want to hear about, of course. Yeah. I mean, one of the most embarrassing is uh, growing up and forgetting which side I was supposed to score a basket on. That's oh, cool. that, that would
0: not be good. Cause usually there's that's an that, audience involved and, and teammates exactly that right. are maybe a little frustrated. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, you, your wife, you call up and you say, Hey honey, guess what? Uh, we got somebody coming over for dinner tonight. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's make it special. Who's the one person you would want to have over dead or alive anybody in history? Who, who would that wow. be? That person that you want to have? Come- person?
1: Yeah. Oh man. Um, as, as, as unrealistic, I mean, I'm a huge Churchill fan. I've read I've read so much of what he has published. Um, that would be just amazing. Um, so I'd have to go with Winston Churchill.
0: Good answer. Good answer. Uh, unique talent. Nobody knows about.
1: Unique talent. Um, I can say almost any word backwards instantaneously.
0: Really? All right. I'm going to throw you one. Okay. Can we try okay. it? Can we try it? <laughs> okay.
1: Sure, as long as it's not too big.
0: No, no. Source. Source. Echeros. That's pretty. Good. That's pretty good. I'm going to give you one more. This, this one's pretty easy. Uh, valid. Uh, Dilev. That's pretty. That's pretty good. Like my wife can read almost anything upside down, just smooth as can be. She just mm-hmm. learned to do that when she was a little kid. She just reads upside down, and I. I that's one of her talents. Anyway, pineapple on pizza? Yes or no?
1: Pineapple? Yes. Oh, Depends really on the day, but I do like pineapple on and pizza. It's very strong.
0: You don't put a wet fruit on pizza,
1: but all right. Nope, It's a great contrast. It's that, that's
0: the only thing I think I've disagreed with with you so far. So
1: okay. uh, best advice you ever got? Best advice I ever got was don't go to college.
0: <laughs> that's a good, good answer. And if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing?
1: If you never kind I of found be, the
0: political thing and I turning point. I would be point.
1: coaching college football. No question. College a, college offense, football defense, is a gift special from, teams, what would you oh, be coaching? Offense? I'd be an offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach. And our off, we'd put up seventy five points a game. We'd go for it on fourth all the time. We'd be super aggressive, <laughs> no huddle. It would be amazing. There be is the that. There is
0: that theory that says don't ever
1: punt. Uh-huh. No, I got it all figured out. It's less than fourth and five, you go for it. It's I got I, I, again. Football is a gift from the heavens. And my dream job would be the offensive coordinator for like a legit college team for one season. We'd put up seventy five points a game, and then I'd retire. <laughs>
0: You know, I was a, I was actually a place kicker at at, uh, no bring me at BYU, and I was actually going to go to Arizona State. And then Daryl Rogers um, became the head coach of the Detroit Lions, and they said, "Hey, Arizona State's not going to honor the scholarship, but I'll help you get somewhere." And he got me to BYU. Totally changed the trajectory of my life. Other—I wow. was all planning. I had accepted an offer from Arizona State to be their place kicker.
1: That's amazing. Back in the I Louisiana, didn't know you were, day I didn't know you're a place kicker.
0: Yeah, I grew up playing soccer, and anyway, changed my life. Um a lot of Last big question: favorite childhood toy?
1: Favorite childhood toy? Oh, I don't. I was a big pots and pans guy.
0: Pots and pans, like real pots oh, yeah. and pans.
1: Yeah, just like banging on them like drums, <laughs> banging on them like drums. That
0: makes a lot of sense. You made a lot of noise in a lot of different areas. There you and, go. Um, I did. There's something to that along the way. Um, congratulations uh, on the new book. I just, I think that's, again, the book is called The College Scam, How America's Universities are Bankrupting and ba- Brainwashing Away the Future of America's Youth. It's by Charlie Kirk. And Charlie, you're affecting and and influencing a lot of people. And you know what? You're challenging people to think through, think through things that, for themselves and make their own decisions And that's a huge value to this country. I don't expect everybody to agree with me or you, but to think it through and actually have a conservative choice in a viewpoint is really, really a great value. can't thank you enough for what you're doing.
1: Thank you, Jason. God bless you. You're a great friend. Thanks so much.
0: All right. I can't thank Charlie enough for his time um, and what he's doing. Uh, You know, way to stand up, actually make a difference, say, you know what? I'm just going to go in with both feet and, uh, The other thing is that benefactor that he talked about, the person who stood up and said, you know, hey, I'm in my 70s, I'm going to mentor, and I'm going to put my money behind it and uh, see if he can't make a go of it and make a fundamental change in how this country operates. And there have been several people who've donated not just their money, but also their time in order to get some things done. And uh, we ought to say thanks and give a tip of the hat. I don't know exactly who these people are, but they make a big, big difference in uh, how the world operates. And um, I, I just, I think it's so, so important. So thanks again for listening to this podcast. Hoping you can rate it. We could use your help there and subscribe to it. Look through the to the uh, library of interviews that we have done. You can also go over to foxnewspodcast.com. I think you'll find some other podcasts that you very well might like. Um, but please like it, rate it review it subscribe to it and we'll be back with more next week i'm jason chaffetz and this has been jason in the house hey it's clay travis join me for outkick the show as we dive deep into a mix of topics new episodes available monday to friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch